if you're a, a parent, if you've been a parent, if you are a parent of young kids now, you, you know the feeling probably. And I don't have to know you to know that you probably know this feeling when you're halfway home and you realize you're missing someone. You look in the back, you look in the rearview mirror, and you realize this person that I'm supposed to love and care about and protect, I have just left somewhere by themselves. Uh, that, that, like you, like that is a moment of incredible panic, isn't it? Because even if you know where you left them, they're like, oh my goodness, like anything can happen. And, and from the moment you whip that Yui in the place you're not supposed to, to get back to your child, you're thinking about all of the, the, the terrible, horrible things that could happen. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy moment of like all of this emotion coming in and, and like, ah, I can't believe it. Um, I, the, we were, Andy and I were, were, were having a family event in, a, in Augusta at First Baptist um, years ago when, when our kids were, were younger and um, two different times that, that weekend. It was just a busy weekend. There's lots of stuff going on. Uh, two different times we forgot TJ somewhere. Like two different times in the span of 48 hours or something. Um, and it, and it, wasn't, it wasn't like he was just a little, a little child. Um, he, he was early, early teens, um, so he could kind of handle himself, but um, he, we had gone to Walmart, we were doing something, and, um, and he went to look at something else, and then, and then we forgot that we had a child, and we'd go, go, but we had Trent, so we got it. So we went and got in the car and, and, and took off and, and realized, yeah, he's, he's still at Walmart. And then um, we were at the day of the event, things we'd, we had worked out, okay, you're going you're gonna to take the kids and I'm, I'm, I got this stuff to do to go. And so I left and took off and then, and then I got home and find out that Andrea had taken off and left and TJ at the, at the church, a strange place. He didn't know where he was or what he was doing. Um, like, now imagine, like, if, if you're a younger if you're a younger parent uh, and, and your child has a tracker on them or something, you know, like you, you buy those watches or, or, or things. I, I, know, I know Amber and Troy um, are, are uh, kids' ministry directors. She, her, her girls all have little watchy things that do stuff. I don't know what they do. But, but I want you to think, like, it wasn't always like that. For those of us who are a little older and the few of you who are older than me, um, you, the, life was different for, for us. Like, we didn't have that. You, you couldn't just call your kid on the phone and go, hey, where are you? Sorry, I forgot you. Um, you couldn't just pull up the Life360 app and go, oh, there, there they are. I, we're in this moment right, right now. Like we, like, we keep pretty good track of Trent, but he goes to a day program three days a week, and he's off with his siblings sometimes doing things. But he, like, he always has his iPad, and so we're in the middle of these discussions about, okay, do we get him an iPad that has, um, that, that has like, cellular on it so that, so that we can know where he is all the time if, in case something, something happens? We really felt that way when we went down to Galveston this summer, and Trent 
and Tristan and Easton and Trevor were all in the same vehicle going down. And, and, and we thought, my goodness, if something happens to them, we, we've just lost 95% of the family. Like, this is crazy. Crazy. Like, we, we, like you want to know. Imagine not having that. Like, not having even a landline to pick up and, and call. When I was a kid growing up. My mom could just get on the phone and call the neighbors because we knew them all. And she'd call the neighbor and go, Starla, my, my best friend David, his mom, Starla, hey, is Corey down there? Like, you could do that. But I, I want you to think about this, this moment we're going to talk about today. Because imagine just for a minute that there's no, there's no cell phones, there's no Life360, there's no app to figure that out. There's no um, landlines at, at, at all. There is there's nothing. And imagine you have to walk everywhere because there's no vehicles. And you have just um, walked, you've left on a journey back home, you've been kind of on a little vacation, pilgrimage we'll call it, and you're on your way back home, and you get 20 miles away from where you left before you realize, my kid is not here. Um, and like, oh, oh my goodness. And, and so you frantically search in the group of people that you're traveling with, and you can't find him anywhere, and you're, and you're freaking out, and now we've left him back in this foreign kind of city, this town that is not our home. And so it takes you a day to go 20 miles on foot back to town where you, you think he probably is, and, it's not, and you're not just thinking about him, but you have other children as, as well. Who, who have to pee and have to, I shouldn't have said, have to go to the bathroom. That's probably a nicer way to say it. Uh, and they're going to go to the bathroom and they're like, you know, they're on foot for 20 miles. And they just did this yesterday. And they're like, how much longer? And when are we going to be there? And I'm tired and I'm bored and whatever. And, and so you walk the 20 miles back to town. And then once you get to town... It's not just like you know, like your kids at Walmart. You just go to Walmart and find your kid. Like you don't know where they're at in this whole city. And you got to try and locate your child in this mass of, of people. And I think that's pretty bad. But, but what if the child that you lost and has now been lost for two days, what if that child isn't your child? <laughs> Yikes. Like, it's bad enough. Okay, let's just be honest, parents. If you lose your kid for a while, you're like, eh, <laughs> I lost my kid. Like, I'll find him. It'll be okay. It's not that big of a deal. If you lose somebody else's kid, you're, you're like, this is, that is not good. That's a bad, that's a bad day. You lose somebody else's kid. Um, that's, a, that's a problem. I, and so, like, this is the real-life situation that Joseph and Mary and Jesus are, are in. And I want to share that with you um, this morning. Here's, here's what the text says. I should probably read it from here. Uh, now his parents, this is Joseph and Mary, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, they were returning back home. The boy Jesus stayed behind in, in Jerusalem. So they're getting ready to go back home. They've got everything packed. They're ready. Everybody knows tomorrow morning we're leaving with the caravan and we're headed back home. And Jesus knew this and he stayed behind. And his parents didn't know it. 
But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey and then began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Now, if you, if you didn't grow up in the 80s, this probably seems really strange to you. But I remember uh, there were times as a child, I, I would leave the house in the morning and mom and dad would not know where I was until evening. Because I, I might eat at a friend's house or something. And if I had lunch, if I had food in my belly, I was good for a long time. And, and so I might, they, like they might not search for me again until it's evening. And then they're like, okay, we should probably figure out where our kid is. So this is not th that strange of a thing. And so when they did find, they did not find him with their group, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Now remember their return trip to Jerusalem was also a day's journey, maybe 20 or 25 mile walk. Um, as a, as a parent, and by the way, I'll, I'll share with you, you, you know that I'm a soon-to-be grandparent, right? Our youngest son, TJ, and his wife, Brooke, are, are pregnant, and they just found out uh, we're going to have a boy. So that's pretty cool. Another, like, oh, Landreth boy, great. Um, as, a, as a parent and soon-to-be grandpa, there, like, there are things about this story that, that, that help to calm me, and, and there, there are things about the story that can concern me. Like, it's a little bit calming to me to, to know that Jesus is 12 years old. So it's not, it's not like he's a little child and they've left him and, oh my goodness, it's going to be terrible. He, he is 12. And, and remember, this was a long time ago. And so a, a Jewish boy becomes a man at 14. Jesus is 12. So it's not that far. Like, he's just beginning this process of being kind of introduced into Jewish um, society as a as a real person as a as a man and and so I, I I feel good about that I feel good about the fact that that he's made this trip with his parents a lot of times and so while they, they did they didn't just check in to the days in in Jerusalem and hang out they didn't do that like he didn't have a place like a safe space that he could go or that that he would stay at when they came back they'd find him there he was familiar with the city he did kind of probably know where some things were. And so that, that kind of calms my nerves a, a little bit. It, it does concern me, though, that um, it's not just a few minutes or even a few hours that Joseph and Mary have lost Jesus. It's two, two days, most likely, by this point that they've lost him. And, and they're not just down the street or around the corner or on the other side of the... Like, they're, they're a long ways away trying to make it back to him. And it concerns me that once they get to Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel, the largest city in Israel, they, like they still have to find Jesus. They just show up in the city. And it's not just like he's there at the gate waiting for them. They've got to go into the city. They've got to find him. They've got to search the houses and the businesses and the whatever, and they've got to try and figure out where Jesus, like he could be anywhere in in this city. And, and of course, they find him in the last place that they look. Here's what verse 46 says. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Um, so just for fun, I, I think there really are a couple ways that you could read this text, but, but it makes more sense to me to say that um, like everybody knew tomorrow morning we're heading out of town and we're going back home. Jesus knew that. He was 12. He was aware of that. They'd packed their bags. Everything was ready. 
And then the group leaves. Jesus, um, Joseph and Mary just assume that Jesus is hanging out with somebody or playing or whatever down with another part of the group or caravan, and they take off, um, and, they, and they leave. And so they've gone a day away from Jerusalem. Then they realize he's not with them, and they come um, a day back. And then it seems like the text says that when they get to Jerusalem, they have to search for him, and it takes them another three days looking through the city. So Joseph and Mary believe that Jesus is in the city of Jerusalem. They just don't know where in Jerusalem. It's like a where's Waldo kind of thing. They got to try and find him in this big city. And so I, I would imagine they probably go back to where they last saw him, wherever it was they were two days ago. They got to go back there and they begin to work and search out. And it's not like they can just hold up their cell phone and go, here's a picture of what he looks like. Um, they, they didn't have the pictures hanging on the wall that most churches do. Or you could go, hey, here's what Jesus looks like. By the way, Jesus didn't look like that. Um, like, I don't, I don't know how they knew that, but he didn't look like the picture that's on the wall. Uh, it's not like they can just hold a picture up. Go, have you seen this guy before? Like, they're just going around asking. They're just looking. They're, they're hollering um, for him. And they comb the city for three days. And then in the last place that they expect to find Jesus... That's where they find him, and, and that's why it's the last place they looked. Because when you find something, you, you stop looking. Like, technically, we always find the thing we're looking for in the last place we look. Nobody finds it and then goes, I think I'm going to keep looking because it's kind of fun. Um, we, don't, we don't do that. Um, the, the point is, they looked everywhere for Jesus except where they didn't. And if you've ever lost something, you know what that's like. And don't you know that you hate it when you, when you're finally, you get your spouse involved. You're like, look, I'm trying to find my keys or my wallet or whatever it is. I can't, I can't find it. I've looked, what do we say? I've looked everywhere, everywhere, and I can't find it. And 30 seconds later, your spouse goes, is this it? And you say, I looked there. <laughs> did, did you? Really? Okay, it's, it's right there. Like our brains do this weird thing. When we say we've lost something, our, our brains kind of shut off that part that sees the thing we're looking for. And so even if you see it, you don't really see it because you've lost it. It's really kind of a, an odd thing that, that happens. And so they look everywhere for Jesus except where they, they didn't. And, and honestly, I think there's a lot of people um, today and throughout history who have been looking for Jesus, much like Joseph and Mary looked for Jesus. And, and, and most people assume that they're going to find Jesus uh, at church. And so if you want to find Jesus, I, I got to get my life together. I like things are just going well. I, I've got to do something. I've got to figure things out. I got to grow up, whatever it is. We're gonna, I got to find Jesus. I need some help in my life. And so they, they go to church. And and, and then you discover this thing when you start coming to church. You, di you discover that um, just because you have found church doesn't mean you automatically find Jesus. And we got to be careful about confusing those two ideas because you can be in church and not be in Jesus. You can come to church and, and not really come to Jesus. 
And so there's these two things that are, that are really ha- happening. Like if you're looking for Jesus, we know Jesus himself said, ask and, 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 and it'll be given. Uh, seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. And so we know if we're looking for Jesus, like he wants to be found. It's not like he's, he's hard. He's not hiding behind a rock somewhere. If you want to find Jesus, he is readily available. But just because you come to church doesn't mean you've come to Jesus. And they're two different things. Like there's, there's more to this life with, um, there's more to this life with Jesus. He, he wants, he, he doesn't just want your attendance in church on Sunday mornings. He wants your allegiance. Like he wants your heart. And so just coming to church doesn't automatically mean that you come to Jesus. There's a relationship that needs to be, that needs to be built there. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the the kingdom of heaven. It's why in real life, baptisms and church partnership are are two things, not just one. We want to make sure that you know real life is found in Jesus. It's not found just coming to church. You can't just come to real life and then, and then all of a sudden everything is great. Like if you die on the way home and you get to heaven and, and God says, why should I let you in? And you say, well, I go to real life where Corey's the pastor. He's going to go, who? Like, I, whatever. <laughs> Lots of people go to church. They haven't really come to Jesus. And, and, and I think there's a... There's then this further kind of disconnect that happens. We come to church expecting that we're just going to automatically get Jesus. And then what we, what we find and we interact with are people. And, and, and I don't know if you're aware of this yet, but, but people are problems. Whenever you have people, you have, you have problems. That's just kind of the way it goes. And, and so, so sometimes people come to church and then, and then they leave church and they're upset and they leave church because they... They think they've been um, treated poorly. They've been wronged by, by somebody. Or maybe the church isn't spiritual enough. And, and, and then I think, but maybe those people are confused. And they've confused church and, and Jesus. Like Jesus is, is perfect. He will never let you down. He will always, always be there. But the church is full of people, well, who are just not perfect. We're just not perfect. So in the church, there's this weird thing where there are imperfect people, you and I, trying to represent a perfect Savior, and, and it's messy. It doesn't always go right. We're not, uh, I hope this doesn't come as a surprise to you, we're not, I'm not a perfect representative of Jesus. I mess up and I and I blow it and I I and look I I like to say I haven't said it in a while so it's time for you to hear it again. I'm an equal opportunity offender. I, I, if I have not offended you yet, wait. I I will I will say something I I should like pee. I said that a few minutes ago and then I was like, why did I, I shouldn't have said that in a group of people? You just probably. Shouldn't say that. Um, and, and so I'm probably going to offend you at some point in the things I say. Or here's the one I really like. Uh, people think I ought to do or say something, and I don't, and then that's offensive. So I've, I kind of get in trouble both. I get in trouble if I do it. I get in trouble if I don't do it. it uh, whatever. So um, life is just messy because we serve this perfect Savior, but we're imperfect people. And so hopefully here at Real Life, you, you find 
Jesus. But you're only going to find him here if you're looking for him. Because if you're looking at me or you're looking at the other people around you expecting to find Jesus and and life is just going to, like, we're going to let you down. But if you're looking for Jesus, then, then this really cool thing happens. If you're really looking for Jesus and looking at Jesus and chasing after Jesus, then the failures of others you get to look past. And pretty soon the, the weaknesses and the struggles and the failures of other people, you, you're able to say, that's okay, that, that it's not just about me. I can look past that and I can look at, at Jesus. Okay, so there's three days here that Joseph and Mary have been looking for Jesus and it's this crazy moment and they're scared and they they find him in the last place they expected to find him the last place they look which is the temple and he's sitting there with these religious leaders and there's a bunch of people around and they're just having conversation they're 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 asking questions it was a normal Jewish thing for Jewish men adults to ask questions of younger um, Jewish males, and then they ask questions, and they kind of just have this conversation. It was part of the way they learned and, and grew, is that they had conversation with people of varying ages. And so it wasn't uncommon, but it was really uncommon to find a 12-year-old boy in the temple having rational conversation with these religious leaders who'd studied the Bible the Old Testament, their whole entire life. And so they're asking questions of Jesus and Jesus is asking questions of them and they're kind of going back and forth and they're, and, they're, and they're talking. And it was amazing because he's such a young boy. He shouldn't have this depth of understanding yet. And, and so there's this, this incredible moment here where Jesus is interacting with these adult men who understand scripture and they're just going back and forth and everybody thinks it's really cool. And then Joseph and Mary walk in. And I guarantee you, Mary didn't go, oh, Jesus, I'm so glad I found you. Uh, no, I'll tell you what she did. <laughs> she walked right into the middle of that group, and she snatched him up by his ear, <laughs> and she walked him out of the room. Just like, listen here, like, like you just hear, You've, this probably happened to you. You can hear your mom in there, <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing, how did you... What is going on? It's a really um, crazy, crazy scene. Mary goes in front of the group and she hauls him out to confront him. And here's what happens. Um, When his parents saw him, they were astonished, which is kind of a, the word astonished means uh, like, like being slapped unexpectedly. Ever happened to you? happened to me. My mom did that to me when I was 17 years old. I passed her in the living room, and she reached out, and she slapped me across the face. And I said, what did you do that for? And, and she said, she will deny this. She will deny it till the day she dies, but this actually happened. I said, what did you do that for? And she said, well, I slapped your brother when he was 17. I figured I should do it to you, too. <laughs> go, okay. Uh, <laughs> His parents were astonished, like they had been slapped unexpectedly. They were blown away by this. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Why have you treated us so? But why have you done that? She's mad at him for being lost. Behold, she says, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And you can feel the anxiety of, of, of Mary and Joseph after five days of searching for Jesus. Like if you're a parent, you completely get, 
completely get this. And you've probably said something similar to your child at some point in there. Do you have any idea how scared we were? And we're blaming the child because we left them. I don't know how that works. But anyway, we're mad. like we thought you were dead in a ditch somewhere. Mom and dad probably said that at some point to you. And then Mary does the thing that all moms do at some point. I, I think this is a variation of just wait until your father gets home. She's like, your father and I, like he's like, hey, Joseph, Way in here, buddy. Step in, like step up. You got to handle this. You always know you're going to be in trouble when, when mom brings it up. But, but look, at, um, look at Jesus' response. Jesus says to them, why were you looking for me? Smack. Why, why were you looking for me? What in the world are you talking about? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And then verse 50 says, they, they didn't understand what he was saying, what, what he'd spoken to them. They, they didn't get it. I think, I think if that was your kid's response after five days of searching for him, you would probably um, slap him. But, but I think this is a case of Jesus, like we're listening to what Jesus said and not really understanding what Jesus meant. Because I think that's really two things going on. Because I think what Jesus means by saying this is different than the way that we read it today. I think what Jesus means is not, why were you looking for me? I think what Jesus means is, why didn't you come here first? Why didn't you come? Why, why did it take you three days in Jerusalem to find me? You should have come here right off the bat. You should have known. that. Like, like that's the next thing he, he says. Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? You should have come here first. Would have saved you a whole lot. It's like, mom and dad, I know you're upset, but look, not my fault. <laughs> Parents love to hear that, don't they? <laughs> not my fault, your fault, kind of your fault. You should have known this is where I'd, I'd be. I think, the, I think the first thing that's shocking to me about Jesus' statement is this is probably the first time in, in Jesus' 12 years of life that he points out verbally to Mary and Joseph that Joseph is not his dad. That's a, that's a tough moment. Like if this were, if this were today, that the kid, Jesus, would be like, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my dad. That's kind of what he's saying kind of what he's saying. I, didn't you know I had to be in my father's, not Joseph's house, my father's house? What was Joseph's house like? Joseph was a carpenter by trade. And so Jesus, as his son, Jesus would have been expected to apprentice in his father's carpentry shop. In fact, that's what he had probably been doing for many, many years. And he started out just sweeping the floor up, whatever, and then helping do some little things. And then he got more and more as he grew. Um, Joseph let him do more things. And now at 12 years old, he, he really knows a lot of the trade because at 14, he'd be able to kind of really start to do some things on his own. And so... Jesus may have been apprenticing with Joseph in the carpenter's shop, but a carpenter he was not. And, and this is kind of shocking news to Joseph and, 
and Mary. Like he was their kid, but he was God's son. And he, he just has clearly and verbally pointed it out. Joseph, you're not my father. And you should have known that I needed to be in my father's house. And, and I'm guessing that things between Jesus and Joseph after that were probably never the same. The other thing that I, I think we learn here in Jesus' response is that, is that he was saying this house is important. Didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house? And this whole series is, is about talking about these moments where Jesus mentioned this, this house, the temple of God is the house of, of God. And so Jesus felt a great need, a, a, a sense of, of importance to be in his father's house so much that he was willing to risk the punishment that he might endure from Joseph and, and Mary. But I, I wonder if this is how the average Christian in churches all across this country and around the world, I wonder if this is how they feel about church. Like I think for many followers of, of Jesus, church takes a back seat to a lot of other things in our lives. Ball games and practices and maybe golf or sleeping or hobbies of all different kinds. The to-do list that just seems to get bigger and, and bigger. Like it, it seems like in today's society, many people are willing to, to miss church for just about any reason. And it's why we, we say, like, behind closed doors, we say real life's competition as a church isn't other churches, it's not online church, it's the bed and the golf course and the football game that might be on early that day. It's the honeydew list that needs to be taken care of. And so I just want to ask this morning, like, in your life, is your connection to God and, and this house, his house, is it everything or is it just an, another thing in your life? Is, is this where you come to get filled up and like you need to, to be here and have the connection with other people and, and, and hear the word and be energized by the, by the music so you can face another week kind of out in the, in the trenches? Or is this just another thing on the list of things that you got to do and you're thinking about all of that other stuff? When I get home, I got to do this and this and this and this. Are, are people astonished like a slap in the face to discover you in church? If you told somebody this week you went to church, would they be like, oh, what? That's crazy. Or if you went missing, is church the first place that somebody would come looking for you? When Jesus said, didn't you know, why don't you know that I must be in my father's house? I don't think he was trying to hurt Joseph's feelings. I don't think he was intentionally trying to drive that dagger into his mother's heart. I think what he was really saying was, was uh, Joseph and Mary, you, you need to understand that I'm ready to start doing my father's work. I'm ready to be about my father's business. I've built cabinets long enough. I'm ready to start rebuilding lives and hearts. And so at 12 years old, Jesus wanted to begin the ministry that he came to begin. He wanted to do what God had sent him here to do, to start accomplishing the work his father had prepared for him. But the text goes on to say that he, he didn't do that at 12. Instead, he went home with Joseph and Mary, and, and he humbled himself. The word in your scripture probably is, is um, 
that he submitted himself to them. Which really is just a way of saying he humbled himself as their child, even though he was their God. And so I, I, I just want to say, parents, don't give up on your kids. Moms and dads and grandmas and, 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 and grandpas and, and grandparents and step-parents and guardians and, and, and whatever it is, don't give up when your kids do something dumb. When my kids were, were growing up, uh, when they started in high school, they started going off with their friends and, and, and going by themselves to different places and doing different things. I said the same thing to them every time when they left to go do whatever it is they were going to do. I said, don't do anything stupid. And they went out and did stupid stuff. Just like I did. Probably just like you did. Because <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> We know the things we ought to do, and then we don't, we don't do them. We do the other things. We do the stupid um, things sometimes. But don't give up on your kids when they want to go their own way, when, when they want to direct the course of their own lives, when they think they know better than you, even though they don't. When they want to take risks, and they and they want to they want to blaze their own trail. Don't give up on them at 12 or 22, because they can still come around. Like Jesus waited until he was 30 to begin his ministry. He wanted to start it when he was 12, <laughs> but he humbled himself to Joseph and Mary. He waited until he was 30, another 18 years after this temple incident, before he started doing what God had purposed him to do. And so I just want to say there is hope for your kids. There's a, there's a passage that says, train your child up in the way they should go, and when they are old, they won't depart from it. It doesn't mean your kids are going to be perfect, and it doesn't mean they're always going to come back to church. It doesn't mean they're always going to do the things you want them to. But I think what it means is this. Parents, you have a small window of opportunity to train your children up in the way that they should go. And so I want to encourage you with this. You, you got to have them in church. Just like for Jesus, church has got to be a priority. You've got to make this house part of your lives. You've got to set Sunday aside for God. Like I think there's two important things that, that parents can do to give their children the best opportunity to, to grow up um, well. And I'll, I'll start with the second one first. Um, mom and dad, if there's a mom and dad, you gotta be on the same page. Like you gotta work together, you gotta work through things, you gotta work it out, you gotta stick it out. I, I think as children see moms and, and dads figuring life, like failing, but figuring life out, they develop a very strong sense of this, of family and, and, that, and, that, and that we're here and we're in this together. I think that's, I think that's important. I think the other thing, the second thing, which is really the first thing, is church and your spiritual lives and well-being have got to be a priority in your life. Like we've got six days to, to watch sports and to go shopping or fishing to make kid practices and tournaments and whatever else there is to do. But when children see their moms and dads, their, their parent, their single parent or grandparents are making time for church and making this house a priority, in their lives. 
then they develop that as well. It's why right now, down in the other, other wing, we're, the Amber and the volunteers are, are, are teaching children about Jesus on their level in a way that they can understand and they can learn so that they would hopefully see you and here learning and listening and, and, and looking more like Jesus and that they go, okay, that's what I need to do. And then they're gonna follow in those, those footsteps. But we gotta make sure that this house is important. And so whatever you're doing during the week, make sure that you're looking forward to being in this house, in his house on Sunday morning. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and thank you for giving us this, this place. And, and God, I don't want I, I to present this idea that, that if you're not in this house, like at real life, well, then it's not good enough. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying church as a whole, being connected with, with you and, and, and connecting with others who are trying to do their best to look and learn and, 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 and love more like your son Jesus every day. It's good for us to be here. And, and even for Jesus, your, your son, like the guy who never sinned and always did the right thing, it was important for him to be in this house. How much more important should it be for us who fail and fall and who are imperfect. And so God, help us to make this house a priority in our lives and to train our children up in that, that like Sunday mornings are God's time. It's time for us to be energized and, and, and just filled up for the rest of the, of the week. And then we train our kids in that so that when they're old, they won't depart from it. And so thank you, God, for the opportunity to do that, to partner with you. Thank you for this place that you have given us to come and to worship and to grow and to, to look more like Jesus every day. Help us do that, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.